Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity with Susan Shereko, where we help you transform your life by changing what you're telling yourself. Whatever your circumstances, you can experience health, financial security, and a sense of well-being once again. And now, here's your host, Susan Shereko. So on behalf of Rebuilding Your Life Radio and the Train Your Brain, Claim Your Power calls, welcome. Today we are joined by Bevan Knight and his wife and editor, Naomi. The book they created is a fantasy novel that pulls from the real world. It's a magnet for your dreams that are out there when we're looking outside ourselves. They have a lovely home in New Zealand, which I was privileged to view their garden when we first met. And we're delighted that they are able to join us from there. So please help me welcome Bevan Knight and his wife, Naomi. Welcome, Bevan and Naomi. Thank you very much. It's, it's, you. it's great to be here. Good, good, good. We're glad to have you. Bevan, what was your life work before you became an author? I spent a good deal of my life as a librarian, uh, initially because I wanted to <laughs> read books. Mostly, I ended up doing technical work, managing a database, writing programs, uh, bringing uh, New Zealand's, helping to bring New Zealand's National Library on to digitization, onto the internet. So yeah, it was exciting, but it got me away from books for a long, long time. <laughs> <laughs> and that's your first love. Yes, it is. What about you, Naomi? Um, what did you do before you became Bevan's editor? Oh, right. The short story was I spent many years nursing. The longest story was uh, I was brought up on a farm and I learned how to farm. I love that. I have a five acre ranch out here in California. so. I don't exactly farm, but we have horses and other animals, so it's it's always beautiful. We rode horses to school. Oh, wonderful. Did you have any idea what it would be like to edit your uh, husband's writing? <laughs> Short answer, no. <laughs> Seven. <did> a course. <laughs> Bevan, could you give us the basic premise um, of the wishing tree? The basic premise, the tree is a magnet for people's, I mean, this is like a metaphor, it's a magnet for people's wishes and desires. Uh, it draws people to it. Uh, but if you have a strong wish and a desire, with that, you often have anxiety, you have fear, you have, and that brings up your adrenaline, uh, which is what drives you. And it is desire which drives the world. So it's a microcosm, I think, of the world, uh, that idea. Uh, although in the novel, it, the wishing tree is in reality a, um, a tree spirit trapped within the tree by a mischievous, uh, mischievous <laughs> walker okay. of apprentice. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, it is trying to take its revenge. It, ta it takes its revenge on people who are burdening it with all these demands. So that is that's the basic premise, really. Uh, that and the uh, the basic theme is the quest uh, to try um, a group of. Uh, so, yeah. People. So, who are the main characters that are involved in, or drawn into this quest to stop the tree or the yeah. inner creature? Oh well, there's a there's a group that get together. the uh, The main character, I guess, uh, Sheena, uh, young Sheena, who is found by a couple of eccentric magicians uh, who live in the wilderness and run an animal hospital and they um, they bring her up they find her as an abandoned baby and they bring her up and uh, until she breaks away I've got a section which I can read a bit later which well we're on what was your inspiration to uh, to get these characters in the wilderness uh, there's a, a book I enjoyed reading by Fred Broomer on a year in, in the Arctic, uh, which, uh, yeah, that was part of it. Uh, an important part of it, I guess, was reading about um, a little village in Hong Kong, which had a couple of uh, trees, wishing trees, and how in uh, in past years, the people had come flooding and throwing their paper wishes up into the trees, and the trees were being stifled, uh, weren't allowed to live. So the the authorities had to get in and set up barriers, keep them back, uh, provide racks for the wishes to be hung on instead. And uh, so really, it was the idea of wishes as a, a burden uh, that was. I suppose a good part of it as well. I read, also wrote a short story, um, which is um, embedded in the book. It um, has its chapter of its own. It's called The Little Girl Who, Who Wanted the Moon. And that short story was really what started it all because that grew and I suddenly saw possibilities with it. And in, in the end, it turned into the, the present novel. Wow. So I think really that's what happened. I see. Well, could you or would you be willing to uh, read us a sample from the wishing tree? Uh, yes, yes, I will. I'll, uh, I'll look down a bit here. Uh, it's, it's one very short chapter in the book. Uh, it's, as I was saying, Sheena was brought up by these uh, eccentric magicians, uh, uh, popularly known as Mother Earth and Father Frost. And what actually happens is that Father Frost is able to fly. This is a, a fantasy novel. He's able to fly and the young Sheena says, can you teach me to fly? And he said, well, I can give you some lessons and this is, in fact, what this, this chapter is about. Uh, however, the important thing to note about Father Frost is he has a speech defect, it's particularly um, words starting with 
the letter T, he struggles with those. Uh, and so I'll just do the reading now. Uh, okay, uh, this is Father Frost speaking. Come on, start again, only this time softly, softly empty your mind. You are not to try, said Father Frost. Almost a year had passed and they had traveled down Sheena's Gully to a quiet solitary hollow to practice flying. Sheena stood in a lush patchwork of flowering shrubs and grasses. She was slightly crouched with her arms raised over her head and her eyes leveled looking into the far distance. Now lower your arms very softly, very softly, he continued. No, no, watch me again. But Sheena felt she had had quite enough, if not far too much, for one day. She threw herself down on the grass in disgust and turned her face away as Father Frost continued to talk. Flying is mind and body and soul all together. Mind and body are the same. Mind and soul are the same. You have to do these exercises if you expect to fly. And you must not try. Trying is about conflict, and conflict is illusion. Sheena stuck her fingers in her ears and continued to lie still. The birds were singing, and the little dell was alive with the colours and smells of many flowers. You must stay soft and open, wide open as the sky, he continued as he waved towards the sunny sky where a couple of fluffy clouds were racing each other southwards. After a while, she stood up because Father Frost had finished his lecture. She said wearily, all right, I shall do my best not to, 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 to try. Father Frost turned without a word and strode away. Sheena was aghast at what she had just said. She paused a moment and decided undecided and then set out towards the valley. Father Frost, moving at his usual place, was already far ahead and had not looked back. She carried on miserably, loitering. Finally, she was back at the caves and was confronted by Mother Earth. The woman stood rather formally in front of Sheena. She was half a head shorter than her foster daughter and she had drawn his, herself up to her full height as she prepared to speak. Look at me, Sheena. Your time here is coming to a close. You have some useful skills and you will be able to find yourself a mate in one of the tribes nearby. Sheena glared back at her, a mixture of shock, horror and anger playing over her features. Anger one. That's right. Put me out like one of your precious animals, she screamed at Mother Earth. You're not an Earth Mother. You're made of ice. You have no heart. Just a lot of clever tricks. That's all you are. Tricks, tricks, tricks. Well, don't worry. I'm going. I'm going right now. With this outburst, the girl, the girl stormed out of the cave, pulling on her boots and Parker as she went. Without a thought as to where she might go, she stomped away into the open valley. It was mid-afternoon and the sky had taken on a sombre, angry look. 
that betokened an approaching storm. Sheena raised her arms a little and looked straight ahead. It was almost a reflex action because she'd been doing just this for much of the day. The last thing she expected was to rise into the air and begin to fly, but that was precisely what happened. One moment the ground was firmly under her feet and the next it was falling away beneath her. It felt as if a giant hand was raising her up, up, up. A cold blast struck her face and the wind roared about her ears. Then another sound came which she recognized. It was her own voice screaming. She looked down and immediately the ground began to rush towards her. Hastily looking up, she began to rise once more and was soon soaring high above the rocky canyon walls and into the approaching storm. So that is chapter 11 in the book. So That is such an amazing, that fantasy of being able to fly uh, has such right. meaning for people that it, you know, it isn't possible, it isn't possible, but we can. We can dream. <laughs> Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Well, uh, I don't know if um, you've tried to ride a bike and there's a stage when you're riding, but you're not quite sure how to stop and yes. get off. Yes. <laughs> and that's the situation that I put Sheena in. I, I regret at the end of that chapter. So, yes, yeah. yes, I think that's true. You know, that idea that you, if you look down, you start to fall. If you look, right. there's a passage in the Bible where Jesus has the disciples in the boat and he's asking Peter to walk across the water. And as long as Peter keeps his eyes tied to, to Jesus's, he can do it. But yes. then the waves start to overcome him and he turns his attention and falls into the water. So there's a, a tradition of that in writing. Right. <laughs> yes, yes, I remember that one, yes. Bevan, this book, the Wishing Tree, has turned out to be the first in a series of books uh, that build on the relationship of the lead characters. Where does the second book pick up? Okay, well, the books are actually linked. Uh, this is a, something I hadn't explained. They're linked by a, an alien species, which are doing a scientific study uh, journeying to three different planets, and the three planets comprise the trilogy. First planet is Trilfan. Second planet is actually planet Earth, a little way into the future. And what happens is it's the children of, it's to some extent it's Sheena and Dorno, the, the couple who are a key in the wishing tree, but it's also very much their children who get swept away and end up on planet Earth, looking a little bit like a couple of little elves. And uh, this is a into, put into the near future, um, about 70 years hence from now. So, uh, so it's a little bit of speculation about how the earth is going to develop over that time, how people are, how technology is going to change. And uh, above all 
concerns about things like alternative news, fantasy news. That's that, that's that fantasy element which is coming in. So really, it's um, that yeah, is it is. That is <laughs> So it's coming down to earth. It's coming into a new, um, a new phase, a new. But the idea of desire and desires, wishes, of course, carries on very much. Third, Is that basically yeah. the theme of the book? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I think of a situation. I explore it. Um, themes come later. Ah, okay. <laughs> themes come later. <laughs> if the book hangs together, it's got it's going to have something running through it which is of significance uh, uh, for me anyway. Uh, uh, I I'm, can't speak for others, but <laughs> people have been kind enough to like the uh, the first book a great deal. So, so Naomi, are you still editing the second book? Yes, the process has been a little bit different this time. Uh, Beavering has done some wild writing and said, here, take this. And I've organized it and given it back. <laughs> and then he goes through all that and puts bits in and takes pieces out. At this stage, I'm a little cranky. <laughs> However, I, I didn't work on it again. And um, yeah, it's, um, it's a step by step. We're tossing it back and forward. I'm putting bits in. He's taking those bits out or altering them. Um, we're learning to live with each other. <laughs> <laughs> it's a new kind of living. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, she cuts out more than she puts in. Okay. It's unfair, totally unfair. <laughs> so, Bevan, what do you do while you're waiting for Naomi to complete editing? Oh, I'm working on the third book. Well, dreaming about it and writing down the odd note. Um, working in the garden, taking walks. Uh, what else are we doing? Taking, well, making we, visits. We socialize. We socialize. We go off and we uh, meet friends and have coffee, <laughs> different places. <laughs> and we're fortunate that we're not locked down. We're able to move around quite oh, freely. That's, nice. so, that's very nice. Yes. We're yeah. all getting a little cranky here because we are tired of being locked down. <laughs> um, yeah. When you think of your audience that's going to be appeal, you know, who likes this book. What age group is involved? Um, Fantasy for seniors. <laughs> <laughs> well, it may not be. Um, <laughs> one of our friends' uh, son says he's keen to read it, and he's, that's Blake. How old is he? He's, <laughs> I think people in there. I had in mind that it could be uh, young adults or the so-called transition group uh, that, that would perhaps enjoy reading it. I and think, I think they might. I think it would have to be made into a movie for young ones because they're so accustomed to visual entertainment. Well, that's true, yeah. Um, we'll see. Yeah, it's... Um, one of the things I do tend to put into 
the books is um, themes, um, uh, especially this, a lot of it comes from my, um, the, the, the hiking, the tramping we did, the um, camping, camping in wilderness areas, uh, one great love. And uh, so that, that just comes out automatically, really. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. Have you had the books? Have you received many reviews on the books? A couple of um, professional ones, uh, which liked it. Um, I've had book. first book, yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. the um, there are several. The ones I value most are the sometimes just single. Um, Anise sent me a, a message saying I loved your book. And that that sort of thing I do like a lot. And there was some one or two other people that contacted me and said, "Yeah, great story." So that made me certainly made me happier than I think than than the professional reviews that I'd I'd got initially. But yeah, but I have I have um, I did get a uh, what was it called Star of Excellent merit or something from Pacific Book Reviews, something oh, nice. like that. Very nice. So that was nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, something like that. Little ah, salt yes. on the put on the book. <laughs> I love it. That, it yeah. They put it on the book at that point. That's very nice for the cover. Now I'm wondering, you have a you uh, obviously as a librarian and someone who loves reading, you have a very wide range of interests, uh, and I'm just wondering. You know, how, how does science, math, uh, brain, brain study, and neuroscience color your writing? Well, it, it gives me focus, a lot of it. it um, I've always been deeply concerned about or involved, really, in the, the talk of uh, how consciousness involves the brain uh, the the materialist neuroscientists mostly say consciousness is an, an illusion which is produced by various feedback mechanisms in the brain the brain talking to itself mm -hmm. producing notion of consciousness which I've always felt um, was not didn't really explain it. it didn't explain a lot of things Later, I found that there are some neuroscientists who doubt that as well. And I, I think that um, if consciousness is an illusion, who is having the illusion? That's mm. just a question I always ask at that point. <laughs> it's a <good> question. <laughs> but we did do, um, one of the things I did at university, I did a, a course in, in philosophy, one of the key things we looked at was the nature of the concept of mind. And uh, I've kept up my reading to some extent since then. Um, people like Daniel Dennett. And I found that things have not actually moved on very much <laughs> at all. More knowledge, a lot more knowledge about the brain itself, but not much more understanding of consciousness, I, I, I don't think. Do you allow the uh, a sense of the mystical to resonate in your life? 
Well, it does because, well, both of us have had what we'd call mystical experiences or religious experiences, one sort of another. No, my experiences are not religious. Well, you had a mystical one um, when you were very small, um, golden light. I've had such things myself, um, nothing perhaps too extreme. I've had visions, I've had um, really just concepts of of some aspect, um, sense in which it's made me aware really that like all of us, we all have this conceptual bubble, the things that we uh, can imagine, things that we know, things that are places where our language takes us. Uh, but there's a, a border to that. There's an area beyond which you can't really go. You can't imagine things beyond that. But in the mystical area, where, as it were, going to into that borderland to some extent. We're going to things which later on, which seem very real at the time, but later on are almost impossible to put into words. The language, we just doesn't. You're very intuitive, but in an innocent way. Okay. <laughs> you don't say, ah, oh, I think something has going to happen today. You just somehow are in the right place at the right time. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes I've been <laughs> tended to for that, that okay. to happen, I guess. Yes. Yeah. What what I love doing is getting um trying to get this sort of thing into the books to some extent. Mm-hmm. That sort of a uh, if you can do it without without look, sounding forced or um Mm-hmm. Not able to be taken seriously or something, yeah. But it does That's color. Right. It is a color. It's a tone that runs through it. It is. It is a little bit, yes. Yeah. Well, I have to say, it. everybody loves a good fantasy, Devin. Um, where do we find a copy of The Wishing Tree? Oh, right. Well, um, Amazon. Amazon. <laughs> you can get one from Amazon, yes. Uh, that's my main publisher, um, which is, I do have a website, um, uh, like but that shop. website gets, um, the website just gives you a link to Amazon, for that matter. This, this my, you could always check at bookshops. Uh, mm-hmm. The uh, publisher main publisher of the book has been Austin Macaulay, not the first, but the second edition, uh, which has got the American spelling. <laughs> and uh, uh, <coughs> you could always get one through them. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But I think um, all the main, um, all the main big places, uh, Walmart and, um, well, I can't think of their names, but Walmart. But Walmart, I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good place to be. A lot of people buy from Walmart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah. Well, Bevan, thank you very much for joining us. I mean, 
And, you know, this has been a delight to get a little inner look at, at the author's mind as he creates his pieces. And I'd like to thank our listeners as well. You know, go check out The Wishing Tree. You may find that you have discovered the first in a series that you will enjoy for some time. And if you'd like to support the work of this program, please subscribe or follow us and recommend us to others. We appreciate your participation in helping us give authors a voice. So thank you again for joining us, Bevan, Naomi. Thank, thank you, Susan. Thank you, Susan, so much for <laughs> inviting us. Lovely meeting you online. <laughs> it has indeed. And but once again, it's time to go. Have a great day, everyone. And we'll look forward to seeing you the next time. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for tuning in today. If you've been inspired by this show, leave a rating or review on iTunes and visit www.rainbowsoverruins.com to receive a free chapter from Susan's book. On behalf of Susan Shireko, this has been Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity, sharing the journeys of those affected by sudden and great loss and what they did to heal, rebuild, and where they are now.